Hi, it's Greg and Lucky. And this is our podcast. If you don't catch us from 5 to 9, this is what you missed. Austin Matthews tying Rick Vive with 54 goals. Rick Vive is now sticking pins into a Austin Matthews rag doll. <laughs> throwing darts at an Austin Matthews poster. Burning an Austin Matthews jersey. Um, and uh, good on Austin Matthews. Looking like he's probably going to go way over 60. And, uh, I mean, I don't think he's breaking uh, the Gretzky record anytime soon. No. But, uh, but he's going to set some records, certainly, as a Toronto Maple Leaf. So good on him with 54 now. And who knows what with 13 to go. One more he stands alone. Uh, he's, he's scored 47 goals in his last 47 games. Mm. Like that... Alone is incredible. Mm. You know, he spanned that over an 82-game season. Brett Hall got to that uh, 82. Uh, Gretzky's 92 is just unbelievable. Yeah, and you think, too, uh, with with uh, with the way uh, hockey and coaching goes and the, the analytics and watching everything, you think that t- teams now facing Austin Matthews would be trying to figure out a way to slow him down, but they obviously can't. Well, I mean, you look at some of his goals last night, he, he, he finds space. I mean, the fact that he's got Mitch Marner there to, to, to throw it to him helps. But and they they pointed this out now, you know, in terms of how he scores his goals. Going into that game last night, twenty three of them were wrist shots, mm. which he's known for, right? Uh, only two were wraparounds, a few deeks in there as well, a couple of slap shots. He's he scores in different ways. One was a beautiful tip last night. Of course, the fiftieth goal is an empty netter. He's only scored like seven or eight of those in his career, right? Right, uh, empty net goals. So they didn't all come that way, um, you know. And, it, and it's amazing. One, you have to put up with, yes, you know, the defense against you. You also have to put up with the online criticism, and that's just going to be absolutely frustrating. You know, there were those who complained that his 50th goal was an empty netter. Right, right. right? <laughs> you know, when Gretzky scored 50 and 39, guess what? That last goal was an empty netter. I'm not sure people looked at it and went, oh, well, that didn't count. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm just, because uh, you bring up Marner and, uh, and how he's helping... Uh, He's helping Matthews out so much. And I read this terrific uh, Mike Bossy letter. So Mike Bossy is uh, not doing well. He's battling lung cancer. And um, so he wrote a, a letter. He's 60 now. He wrote a letter to his 14-year-old self. And it's it's incredibly well written. It's very nice. It's very sentimental. It's some terrific insight into his life growing up and getting into hockey. But one of the references he makes is his love of Brian Trottier, mm. who was, uh, I guess, his... His wingman as well. I guess it's right because I think in the in the letter he says we never we needed a, a left wing guy. Right, it was yeah. just the two of us. So yeah, had the two. When you have that combination, and there's it doesn't happen very often. But when you get two guys together like that, it's like in rock and roll. You get two people: a McCartney, a Lennon, a Richards, a Jagger. You know these these things happen, and it's it's magic. And uh, certainly you saw it with the New York Islanders and their run with all those Stanley Cups. Well, and and look at the script for for putting together really good teams as of late. You know, mm-hmm. there's the Kane and Taves in Chicago. You know, Crosby and Malkin uh, in Pittsburgh. Before that, you had you know Lemieux and Yager. Yeah, you know, it usually takes two. The, the Leafs have a bunch, and they did that last night. I think that was a statement game. Not only the Matthews hat trick was unbelievable to to tie Vibe by getting a hat trick in that game, mm-hmm. but also you know this is a team you're tied with in the standings. Uh, you know, at the top of the Eastern Conference or near the top of the Eastern Conference, and you spanked them six three. Yeah, you know, and you know they went into that game plan without William Nylander in the lineup, saying, "Well, we got to stop Matthews. He's on a tear." Guy had a hat trick. Like mm-hmm. that's you know, these are the two time defending Stanley Stanley Cup champions with their top goaltender in that. 
it's a big statement game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It, t- it takes two to make the world go round, Lucky. Oh, really? As, uh, as the old song once said. Right. Yeah. DJ Rob Bass. Now. That's right. Oh, yeah. No, I am. They got all these, these pairings and Ven and Lucky. <laughs> Very similar. There's a woman who might be considered the worst murderer of all time if she's found guilty. 71-year-old woman went on trial for uh, allegedly murdering her husband four years ago. But in 2011, she wrote an essay called How to Murder Your Husband. Oh. Yeah. She also wrote a romance novel called The Wrong Husband. But the judge ruled that those facts can't be entered into evidence so the jury won't know. Wow. So strange, right, how our legal systems work? What makes a judge decide one thing or another? Uh, She wasn't a successful writer, and if she did it, she wasn't a successful murderer either because a lot of things were pointing to her, like a life insurance policy, an order for a ghost gun that you assemble yourself, an order for a replacement gun barrel, and surveillance footage placing her nearby. Mm. And she owned a big cat farm. Her name's (laughs) Carol Baskin. So uh, hopefully she's got good lawyers uh, because she's going to need them. And speaking of good lawyers... I guess this 16-year-old kid had some high-quality legal representation for only getting the one-year sentence he did because if he was a 16-year-old who had stolen his mother's 1992 uh, Ford minivan and ran over these kids, I think it would be a different situation today. Yeah, it, it, it's it's very difficult. This was a judge-only trial, uh, 16-year-old uh, in May of last year in Vaughan. Uh, he was going 102 kilometers an hour in a residential area when he hit the curb, mm. launched into the air, and killed two children and uh, and injured a neighbor who was helping them fix a bike. Um, and, and it's just it's a heartbreaking, tragic story. But right away, you know, when they released that it was a Mercedes he was driving, mm. some opinions are formed automatically uh, about this young man. I think right? rightfully so. Um, well, does it really matter? Well, if you have great legal representation and you can afford it, things do tend to go right. your way more. We don't know whether or not he had great legal representation when it came to it. He had legal representation, and, and they um, they asked for two years. Uh, I think the Crown, in in terms of the probation, uh, the, the judge, it was a judge-only trial. The judge decided that it was a, a difficult case to weigh um, as to what to give him and went with this kind of... Um, opened uh, custody youth sentence, um, which has been done before. It's just, it's really difficult to weigh. It's an open custody facility, a year there, six months community supervision. There is one year probation and a, a six-year driving ban. The Crown had asked for a 10-year driving ban. The judge went with six. The next sentence will be, they only lose their electronics for a year. That, that's how lenient we're getting. Look, those kids, uh, the ones that stole the car out of Brooklyn, luckily they didn't kill anybody, but they were much younger. 14, I believe, or 12, or whatever the hell they were. Um, of course, I wouldn't expect, and since they didn't kill anybody, I wouldn't expect them to be doing serious time. They are young children who need to learn a lesson and maybe go to some counseling and get some some help or something going on there. But at 16, you should know a little more about right and wrong. And if he's a licensed driver, he signed an agreement with society to take uh, safety in, in his hands, to be cautious while driving a vehicle. And he broke that commitment. Yeah, it's and this is where it gets very difficult with this you know, Youth Offenders Act and, and what happens 
when you give young people responsibility. I mean, we all speak of this, and I think many of us who are outraged by by this sentence speak from you know a place of hypocrisy in some senses that. You know, I think many of us have, have sped, especially when we were younger, done some stupid things sure. and gotten away with it, technically, in the sense that we didn't kill anybody. Um, yeah, you know, we perhaps were lucky, perhaps we were smarter um, to not do it in that situation. Uh, this kid made, obviously, a massive mistake. Uh, I guess the judge, in taking into account the fact that the kid pled guilty, mm. for one, didn't fight the charge, he pled guilty. Uh, and showed extreme remorse. Well, that's what um, great legal representation will right. give you. Well, or remorseful of a kid that made a mistake. Does he deserve, deserve punishment? Absolutely. And I agree with you. Like, even the father said, if a 17-year-old is too immature to understand the consequences of his behaviors and actions and is then protected under our judicial system, then why do we give them the privilege and responsibility mm-hmm. to drive a vehicle? That's the kid's dad? That's the, no, that's the well, the, the one who died. Okay. The, fa- the you father know, of the, the children. The father of the children who died. Yeah. And you can't, you know, how do you disagree with that? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I can't, you know, I find it a difficult place for me in this one because I've got, you know, kids who are coming upon that driving age, right? Well, the teenagers, mm-hmm. soon to be teenagers, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, Evan's not that far off of being able and to And they're drive. also around the same age as the kid who just got killed in right. this, right? So as a parent uh, who watches my kids play in the driveway all the time, um, you know, to think... That in some situation, as I'm having my nap in the afternoon and they're playing road hockey in the driveway, that someone would launch off the curb and kill them in my driveway. I would want blood mm. and, and rage, absolutely. On the flip side of that, as a, as a, as a parent of a kid who's in generally a good kid but mm. makes an odd mistake here or there, if you were to make this mistake, I'd want, he'd need to face punishment, mm. but I'd obviously want, you know, a rehabilitation element to it, sure, uh, and and not the longest one. It, it's very difficult to grapple. It's easy to say, give them life and 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 throw them away. Uh, you know, our legal system looks as as a possibility of a sixteen or seventeen year old kid that you could rehabil- rehabilitate them, rehabilitate them so they don't make a mistake like this again in their lives. Yeah, I mean, we saw it with the Marco Muzzo situation. Now, obviously, a different story. He's older. He's he's more mature. He he knew he was driving drunk, uh, but we we rallied against him too because of the wealth and the way he got treated. And so, I again, we don't know anything about this kid's family. I'm only you know you, you say. Mercedes and Vaughn, and you think, okay, obviously... Yeah, there's assumptions is, made right away. Yeah, and I don't think you have to be uh, that brilliant to figure out that's that's probably the story. And so we do tend to go, eh, leniency for him and not for somebody else. But it depends. If you, if you think of that, the first thing you think, well, there's a spoiled kid who doesn't you know, who doesn't care, mm. then, you know, perhaps you're wrong in that assumption. It, it, is he spoiled? Perhaps, right? It, do you have access to a vehicle? Most others don't. Mm. Uh, at 16 years, yes. I never said he didn't right. care. No, but but I think some do. Some make that assumption that he's just a spoiled brat and he's going to get away with things the money does buy privilege. It gets you places that mo- not having money doesn't. So what what sentence are you happy with then? Because that's, that's the big turnaround in all of this. If you're not happy with the sentence, what do you mm. want to see? Uh, well, okay. Maybe a little more jail time than just a year. I don't. I don't know exactly what. I would say uh, you're suspended from driving for life. Life. Yeah. So yeah. You've lost that privilege you, forever. I think for two young children dead. I think giving up a license for life is 
is at least something. So does anyone who kills someone else with a vehicle lose their license for life then? Uh, it all depends, I guess. If I roll through an intersection and I T-bone a car in just a generic accident, uh, no, probably not. But if I take a car at 100 kilometers an hour through a residential neighborhood, I think I deserve to lose my license for life. I think life for a 16-year-old any bit, not you know, in a ban or sentence is, is a bit long. Well, that's I'd, I'd say, you know, you know, 10 to 15 years uh, perhaps uh, is more understandable. What I would say is that for the next five years, this kid should be at every driver's class. Uh, going around to different drivers' classes, drivers' ed classes in the spoken part of it and telling his story mm. and reminding others who are learning to drive and young drivers that, you know, part of his sentence in this community restitution should be going around sharing his story to help prevent this from happening again. Because in the end, whether or not, you know, it helps this kid prevent him from doing it again, you also want others mm-hmm. to know. Because part of the what we want in our sentencing is... For others to learn from that and it be preventative in that measure. So he should go around to every young driver's program and the classroom program for learners who are just getting their license and tell his story and how tragic it is. I heard Maytel talking about this over the weekend. A grandma shared her wishes for her funeral. And then I just found this audio of her TikTok video. It's terrific. These are my rules at my funeral. Listen up. You could cry, but don't cry too much. Don't make a fool of yourself. Bertha is not invited. Don't let her in. And you better get drunk afterward. Take a shot for me. <laughs> that's great. Bertha's not allowed in. Yeah, that's it. They've had, they've had words. <laughs> you got to go by Granny's wishes. Right. All right. We'll have a drink after for sure. You know, it, it really is... Um Interesting, you know, you get to that point where you start, you have to start planning or mm. thinking about it. You should start thinking about oh, it. Oh, I think about it. Right. <laughs> well, quite a bit. Probably too much. Yeah, you know, when estate planning is such a, it's such a weird feeling, right? Like, yeah. you know, you don't, you know, especially if you're, if you're younger, um, you know, 30s or 40s, it's one of those things you're barely thinking about retirement. That's right. Let alone, you know, what comes after that. But you can leave some really tough decisions to people. Yeah, uh, we. I mean, I've, I've my family has been in that spot where we've had to uh, bury someone when my sister passed away. Of course, she was very young, so there was nothing. And it's so it's such a bizarre and strange world to be in because it's it's a business for the the funeral people, right? Yeah. And you're, you know, when you're out p- picking the casket, and it's like, well. What, what do you think she would have liked? I don't know. I never had this conversation with her. <laughs> Anyhow, it is. And, and my parents, I remember being on them and on them because they they would not pull it together to go mm. do uh, funeral planning. And I'm like, well, look, you're you know you're getting older. At some point, I, I don't want this to be on my plate. Yeah. And have to make those decisions because if it's up to me, you're going in a garbage bag. Right. Uh, and so they finally pulled it together and they said, and I think this is probably true, even like when you get life insurance, it's not something you really want to go do, but you get it and there's some feeling of relief. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, that's out of the way. Right. Right. You know. Well, and, and listen, it, it, in these times, it's it's something you're not necessarily doing so much for yourself as you're doing to ease the burden on that's the right. ones you leave behind, that's right? right. So you're doing something for someone else. That's right. In this situation, which we've noticed can be tough to ask people to do. Yeah. Um, well, but, I was on my parents from the time they were about 35. <laughs> well, and, and for many, it, it's having someone else pass that 
you know, is the impetus mm. when they see someone else go through it mm-hmm. or another family go through it to say, uh, you know what, I probably should pick some things out. And, you know, listen, some people want to design every piece of it. Yeah. From, you know, here's here's what's going to be on the obituary. Here's what you're going to put on my tombstone, gravestone. Who's gonna, this is what music is going to play mm-hmm. uh, at it. And you know what, if it makes it easier for everyone, if this is what you want, because that's what they're all doing, right? At the yeah. end is trying to decide what you would have wanted. Here's a thought. Tell them. Yeah. No, I know. It's funny. And it, this is how the Van Luck goes. So I was on my parents forever about it. And they finally pulled it together. But you've got to pay into a, like a funeral plan right. for at least two years. <laughs> Doesn't my mom die within the first year? Oh, really? uh, Bobby gets hooped again. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the Van Luck. Now, do you and Adrian, uh, do you uh, discuss where you would like to end up? Like for Marie and I, we are polar opposite. Right. Ways. Yeah. Have you guys had that conversation? Not, re- not really. Like we had, uh, you know, it was a spell a few years, some time ago where we had a couple of family members pass. And, and that kind of started the impetus throughout my entire family. Mm. Is, okay, are we all going into the same cemetery right. or, or or what? And, then, and, uh, and I think it kind of started the conversation. But it never quite finished. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and even things like you know, you can you can prepay for these things. Oh yeah, you yeah, can yeah. Plan, oh, right? Yeah. yeah, you can go to a funeral uh, place, uh, a, a, a cemetery, and right? Buy your plots. Yeah, and and uh, you probably should if there's a, a a place that you'd like to go and pick your plot. If, yeah. You know, which just again, it seems so odd, odd and final. Yeah. Right, but. It, you know, it, it is what it is. And you can also do that at funeral homes, too, right? You can oh, yeah. pick out your package and do the whole thing, the casket or and and uh, and start prepaying it all so that it's done. When my sister-in-law passed um, and we were uh, at the cemetery, there was all sorts of plots around her that were available. Yeah. And so at that point, this is going back a few years now. We're, you know, I think Maria brought it up or somebody, you know, we should we should get these plots and then, you know, we'll all be together here. And, uh, you know, again, hum, ha, hum, ha, nobody does anything. And since then, when we've been to the cemetery, those plots are all gone. Right. They get eaten up pretty fast. Right. Good business, that funeral yeah. business. We're all gone at some point. I always joke with Maria that my funeral will cost about $2,500. Hers will be 250000 The Pope will be brought in. She'll be entombed in the Vatican. This I thought was was uh, interesting. Things that used to mean you were upper class or rich that now signal signal your lower class. Oh, like a great example would be when you'd see a giant satellite dish outside of someone's house years ago, <laughs> right? And you think, wow, <laughs> they can afford all those channels. They must be rich. Yeah. Now that you've just got yourself a five thousand dollar salad bowl sitting out there. <laughs> Uh, lovely Marie and I bought when we first got married because we lived up in the country with no cable. You paid five grand? I think three to five, somewhere wow. in there. I don't think they, they don't even work anymore, obviously, because back then it was all analog and then right. now everything's digital. I mean, it was really interesting to watch because you got all these live feeds. And if you were into like a, a certain, uh, like a sitcom or whatever, these would only be for ones that were in syndication. But the networks had these wild feeds where they would send... Or the production companies, I guess, would send, like, say you were watching Roseanne, and they would send, like, a, a week's worth of Roseanne down the line to the networks. Gotcha. So they'd have them for their syndication. So you get to see them kind of all back to back. Or if you were watching, like, live television, um, uh, if you were watching um, Letterman or whatever, you you would see kind of the uncuts of some things that went on that didn't make it to television. 
And one of the best moments was you would see when they were going on news reports, when the anchors would be in New York and they were throwing to somebody in Dallas or something, and the camera would be on and live on the person, and they're waiting for their cue, but they're sitting there and they're having a smoke (laughs) or they're talking. And I remember this one woman just going off on somebody or at somebody about how much she hated that whatever town they were in. I can't wait to get the F out of this effing town. I'm going to get myself back to New York or L.A. She went on and on about how much she hated the town. And then somebody, I guess, counting down in her headphone. And then she's like, hi, I'm Janice. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yeah, it was, it was terrific. Anyhow, yes, we bought this thing. And, of course, it, uh, now nobody has them. And if they're still out front of somebody's house, it just looks like now you're living in a trailer yeah, park. It's a great example. Yeah. Uh, other things that uh, people had back in the day that made you think, oh, my gosh, they've got to be wealthy. A 35-inch TV. Right. When you moved up to that size, that Ooh. was a big deal. Yeah. Wall-to-wall carpeting. Big deal. Carpeting in the bathroom. Which uh-huh. Now. It's just gross. Like, so gross. I don't even like the one, the little one around the front of the toilet. The rug or yeah, mat there. Still gross. Uh, flip phones, any kind of cellular phone. Yeah. Like, I remember my dad got one installed in the car because of his company. They paid for it. He never would have done it himself. And I think it was like $1,000 to have this thing installed in the car. Uh-huh. And it was like a buck a minute or something yeah. to use. <laughs> yeah. My dad had, like, the, the first Motorola Flip. Yeah. Right, with that big-ass battery on the back of it. Yeah. And just flipped down that little talking piece. It's a big deal. Mm. If you had shares in Blockbuster Video. That was a big deal. Having a wallet with a long plastic sleeve of credit cards. They let them <laughs> yeah. fall out. Said, had pictures of grandkids yeah. on the other side. Dial up internet, water beds, wallpaper. And going back about 100 years, somebody said, well, poor people had horses and rich people had cars. So if you had a car, you were somebody well off. I'll tell you what, with today's gas costs, I'm going back to a horse. Right. I get myself a nice pony. And right to work. The other thing you could probably say, especially now in the GTA, was a million-dollar home. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, wow, you would go around when other homes were worth, like, 50 grand mm. and look at what a million-dollar home was. And now you're getting a semi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get a semi now if you see anything under a million dollars. Yeah, I remember my, my best friend growing up, his parents moved off of our street and they went up to an area in uh, Bramalee called Professor's Lake. And this is where, if you had dough, you went to. And I think at the time, this would have been the 80s probably, the house was like $200,000 and everybody just thought, oh my God, $200,000 right. for a home? You know, because people on our neighborhood pay, paid like 20000 for their house, uh-huh. you know. But this was also this was also the family that put in a pool, and that again was a thing like in the seventies. No, very few homes had an in ground pool, yeah. and just the, the talk of the neighborhood. Do you see what they have? Uh, Things must be going good over at their place. It's amazing when you see like American. Um like home shows, like things, but selling the market there in Texas mm-hmm. or whatever that you know. Oh wow, you know, you can you can buy this house for one hundred and eighty five and put in one hundred and twenty mm-hmm. into it, and you know your three hundred thousand dollar investment, and it's a massive ranch. Yeah, that they've got. Yeah, You're like oh my goodness, now you could get like a million dollar home in. You know, just outside the Beverly Hills area or mm. in Pontypool. <laughs> you decide. Ooh, I dream of Pontypool. I know you do. People were asked about um, at what point they'd be willing to uh, walk to something, like, you know, say a local errand of some sort. Right. And many saying they'd be willing to walk a kilometer. 
before okay. seeking another method of transportation. Now, I have to admit I've called an Uber for probably less than a kilometer. <laughs> <laughs> and in general, many claim they'd pick walking as their preferred transportation whenever possible. I guess it depends on the weather conditions as well, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, I think people say things to make it sound like they're, you know, doing the right thing. Right. I think we'd take the car to go around the block uh-huh. a lot of the time. Many people, man, a lot of us using that step counter, and the average person says they take about uh, 5,900 steps a day. And when asked how many steps they'd like to take, most people were targeting the 10,000 to 11,000 range, even though we learned recently you only need about 6,000 to 8,000 steps. Right. Well, I think having it just pushes you to, to walk more, get up and move around more. Yeah. And for many who you know maybe work uh, office job or 9 to 5, even at home, sitting in their chair at the desk more often, Getting up and moving around or going for an actual walk, getting him some exercises is something that they need to be almost forced to do. And yep. that's where those you know fitness bands and watches and whatever it may be helps you do that. Many people claim they opt to take the stairs whenever possible. I'd say I'm, I'm that guy. Uh, we have, you know, it's not a lot of stairs. We're a couple of floors up or two floors. One? Yeah, one floor up. Well, I guess just one. We're on the second floor, so I guess we're just one floor one up. One flight. But, but there's a lot of people in this building who take that elevator to yeah. go for a cigarette. Yeah. I think you should take the yeah. walk. <laughs> I can't walk. I couldn't possibly. Jesus. What's, uh, okay, so what's your max if you're going into uh, a building... And you see, uh, like, Dr. Downer's uh, office, yes. third, third floor. I, You know, originally, I took the stairs. Right. I did. And then when I went in to see him uh, after taking the stairs, my blood pressure was high. <laughs> so, <laughs> so after that, I took the elevator because I didn't want my blood pressure to rise. The problem with him is you don't wait very long in the no. waiting room with no. him. You know, at least if you had a longer wait, you could at least get your heart rate to settle down a little bit. He is good that way, I must admit, because, God, I've been to so many doctors where you sit and wait 40 minutes for them, and they spend 12 <laughs> seconds with you. Um, what about you? you? Would you, Dr. Downers, would you take the stairs or the I'm elevator? I'm taking the stairs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's probably about enough. Three floors. I'd say, I'd say three flights is probably my max for, yeah. for any, even entertaining the thought of the stairs. Beyond that, it's like, uh-uh. Remember when there was, and maybe they still do it, and they probably haven't for the last couple of years with COVID, but remember every year there was some charity event around climbing the stairs on the CN Tower? Oh, right, yeah. I remember when I was younger, and I never did it, but there was always that contemplation. I always wanted to try it, yeah. to try it. I don't think I'd be able to do it. Oh, I wouldn't. Certainly not now. Oh, no, I'd I'd need need oxygen about a half an hour in. Um, We like to go for walks. Uh, We like to uh, take the stairs and we like to walk our pet are things that we try to do to keep a little more fit. Yeah. Yeah. Any kind of moving around is good. It's funny with that step counter. I don't I don't have one. But on my phone, I have some health app that I I did not download it. It's just there. I think it comes on it. And every now and then, if I do something like say I'm walking around the mall or I've been out doing something, it'll uh, I'll get a a notification that I they got like exercise today. And good on you. Your heart rate was up. (laughs) But then it'll show like the track record of of what you've done in the last week. Looks like you're clinging to life. <laughs> Flatline, one spike. It actually sends a message going, oh, thank God you're alive. We we thought you had died. Rock Mornings with, with Craig Venn and Lucky. Lucky. 94.9 The Rock.